Ever been in a situation where you really wished you knew what the other person was thinking? Well, we aren't talking to any psychics today, but we've got the next best thing. Today we're joined with Germany's mind reader, Gerrit Richter, CEO and founder of the leading opinion poll tech company, Civi. Civi has over 1 million active participants a month, and with the European parliamentary elections coming up in May, polling is a hot topic. But polling doesn't need to be political. Garrett lets us in on everything from what makes a company successful to user feedback to how the internet is just full of people who want to express their opinion. He also talks about how, in the polling business, trust and transparency are of utmost importance. So put away your crystal balls and let's head to the polls. Enjoy! The thing that I was really fascinated by, and it always have been, is Finally, technology did something. Wondering what would be the single most valuable piece of advice you'd give us? Because we found what we loved to do. And we read people with passion can change the world for the better. That's what we believe. Hello and welcome to Speak Like a CEO, the podcast where we talk about leadership and communications. My name is Oliver Aust, I'm the founder of EOPSA Communications, and I'm here with my co-host Lena Carson. So today on the podcast, we want to talk about polling and the great responsibility that comes with knowing more about what Germans think than anyone else. Garrett Richter is our guest, and he's the CEO and founder of Civi, a company from Berlin that aims to make polling transparent for everyone. Garrett started his career in politics as a spokesperson for the SPD before moving into consulting at Roland Berger. He then founded Civi in 2015. Welcome, Garrett. Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in and talking to us, yeah. Garrett. Really um, uh, very happy to have you. Um, you're obviously um, heading a very exciting company, and everyone who sort of reads, reads online news in Germany has probably come across the name. Before we go into that, a few rapid-fire questions, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Do you work better early in the morning or late at night? Late at night. Who's your biggest inspiration? Boy, that's a tough one. Someone from Game of Thrones, I would say. <laughs> Which <Good> one? <laughs> um, that, that, it really depends on my mood. So it, it, I think in the morning, it's uh, someone from the dark side in the evening. I'm glad it's the afternoon. What's the most used app on your phone? The most used app, uh, Slack. Mm -hmm. Facebook or Twitter? Actually, neither nor. <laughs> okay, any other social network you, you're into? <laughs> so I, I deleted Twitter a couple of weeks ago. It's just annoying. I, I'm using <laughs> Facebook, but only for, not for private stuff, only yeah. for news reading. Yeah. Facebook is only great for um, organizing your birthday party or <laughs> something like this. Um, well, actually, I'm, um, I'm wondering what is the next big thing in social media? I think, yeah. I think social media will not die, but mm. I don't see any Keeps any app yeah. what I like right now. Yeah. So it's just the normal stuff. Okay, you can do WhatsApp, but WhatsApp is also not social media. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about Civi, your company, which you founded a few years ago. What exactly are you guys doing? Mm. So the simple version is we are doing online polls. Um, the most more sophisticated answer is that we are the first company um, who has the approach to do a fair deal with the participant. You know, traditional online polling has two approaches. Either you do it online, then you get paid for your vote, or you do it via phone, and then someone just tries to convince you on the phone to give you an answer. And, and we said this don't work works out anymore because on phone calls you have a response quote of 1% in the US right now, which means if you want to ask 1,000 
participants, which is a typical sample size, you need to call 100,000 households. So now you have a feeling how big the mm. problem in the polling industry is. And our approach is totally different. We just said, um, said okay, um, if you take part in the poll with Civey, then you always see the result, which, which sounds simple, but which is um, um, really somehow a revolution because normally a poll, polling company would never tell the participants the results because the customer who pays for the polls, he or she should get the results. Mm -hmm. and, and we flipped it around. We said, no, if you give us data, so your answer, we give you data back. This means every and any poll which is um, done by Civi will always be public. Always, always. And, um, and the, the feedback from the user is, is amazing because, as you mentioned, we were founded in 2015. We did our first poll in summer 2016. In summer 2017, one year after we did our first poll, we were already the biggest online pollster in Germany. And now with more than 1 million active participants per month, we are somehow 200 times bigger than the number two in the market. Just if it comes to number of answered polls. Wow, months. that's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's just this little change in don't pay the user, don't annoy him on the phone, just give him data back. Yeah. Make it a fair deal. And there's still enough data and analytics left for us as a company to be in an economic way pretty successful. Is, is it fair to say, therefore, that you're the digital disruptor of the traditional polling industry? So that's what we um, what we want to be, sure. <laughs> um, if we succeed on the long run, we will see. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, today we can claim we are the only company, as far as we know, at least in Europe, I have no example, also from the US, which has solved this participant problem because people love to do polls with survey. We are the only company which is able... Um, to show in real time um, representative results to participants and to customers. So real time is a thing. Normally, these statistical algorithms where you say, okay, you get a sample and the sample is biased because of the way you, you, um, you got the data, then you need to correct it with a statistical algorithm. Normally, these algorithms take, calculate two, 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 two days to two weeks <laughs> and we are doing it in real time. That's uh, two things... We have changed. One thing is the fair deal with the user. Yeah. And the other thing, really have high-speed statistical algorithms, really complicated. I now say stuff because it's... <laughs> <laughs> if, if I start talking about this, um, then uh, uh, the, you, we, we need weeks for this podcast. But to bring together uh, the speed of the internet, mm -hmm. together with a traditional, I would say it's, it's more like a social thing, yeah? You give me something, I give you something back. That's a fair deal. On um, to bring together these two things, yeah, this makes us the biggest online pollster now in Germany. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's a pretty busy period for you now um, with the European elections coming up. So I guess you, you know you're doing a lot of political polling as well. Yeah. So um, so we are not a political company. So um, if you want to do polls with people, this means you need to cover all the topics people are interested in. And of course, there are some people who are interested in politics. That's why we are doing politics. Mm. But I can promise you there are even more people in Germany who are interested in tech. <laughs> That's why we're doing tech polls. And there are also a lot of people in Germany who are interested in cars 
uh, no, and in clothes and in um, in heaters. Yeah, we're doing a lot of polls right now about <laughs> heaters. Yeah, yeah. If you own a house, it's an important topic for you, and you want to know what's going on. So, um, yeah, sure. We are covering the European election. Uh, we have a wide-reaching media network, and that's why often we are known as a political uh, polling company. But it's maybe it's two or three percent of our polls are political polls mm -hmm. because that reflects just the interest of the people. I'd love to go back to um, the point you said about data, which is, I guess, quite topical at the moment, you know, with Facebook's breaches mm -hmm. of data and people, I guess, becoming more aware of what they're putting online. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important or so lucrative, I guess, to people that participate in the polls that they get their data back immediately? That's a really, really good question. And in the beginning, we didn't know the answer. Why is it so important for the people? So what we just did, we just asked our participants why you are taking <laughs> part in polls at Civey. And um, the answer, answer was um, pretty interesting because more than half of our users say we are not so much interested in the result. We just want our voice to be heard. And now it gets complicated because, okay, yeah, we show you the result, but you're not interested in the result. <laughs> you just want to vote. So um, I think it's, it's a thing... Yeah, there's a poll about uh, the new iPhone or about Merkel. And those could be important topics for me in my personal life. And I want Apple to hear my voice and I want Merkel to hear my voice. And polling is a great way to express this. But you want to be sure that this message is reaching the sender, uh, the, um, the receiver. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's why it's important that the result becomes public. And the probability that the message is reaching the receiver gets bigger if the result is published in a, on a newspaper. And that's why our media network is so important. So one thing is doing a poll on a random website. And one thing is taking part in a poll on Spiegel Online or on Welt or on Focus or Chip if it comes to technology. I think that's the main motivation. So we can, um, we can also... Uh, measure this in, in KPIs. So, for example, if we are doing a poll on a news article, then the number of comments in the discussion board below this article get less. So, people, we are then in the in the with our survey tool, the way to express your opinion. It also was somehow the founding idea of survey, and it's nice that we get now the. The feedback from the user, this, this really works out. Because what we saw, there's not a lack of people who like to express their opinions in the internet. <laughs> so That's if you go sad. to Facebook, <laughs> yeah. everyone wants to tell his opinion. I think it's... That's not the internet's problem. <laughs> no, exactly. The question is, how can we make something useful out yeah, of this? Channel that, yeah. Because right now, um, the, the loudest person wins in the internet. Or, or the person who has the most bots on Twitter, or whoever. But how can I ex express my opinion and make sure that I am heard, plus that others are not heard more than me? <laughs> and that's, that's, yeah. that's what polling is doing. So you're converting data into knowledge. And converting yeah. data, converting the voices of the people into yeah. actionable results. Mm -hmm. Results which you can trust, where the public can trust, where the people can trust, where our customers can trust. We're not the, the loudest person the internet wins. It's just So if you were um, a young white man, 
your voice should be represented at the grade of the share you have in society, yeah, and not as the dominating voice on the internet, mm. which is typical for young white men normally. They are dominating the internet, yeah. but that's not cool. So my mom, who's obviously not a young white man, should have the same share <laughs> in, in these results, and this we make sure. Yeah. You mentioned trust a few times now, mm-hmm. and that's obviously um, hugely important for an organization such as yours, sure. uh, especially since we all, we're operating in a low-trust yeah. environment, the media or government or institutions, yeah. businesses. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that, and how do you ensure that trust isn't, because it's hard to gain trust, takes sure. a long time, but you know, it's easily lost. As sure. you know. Yeah, you need to earn trust. You don't get it at the beginning for free. That's one of our biggest challenges because we have developed a new technology, which we obviously, of course, don't want to share <laughs> because it's our property, that's our core. We have um, worked on this years. Millions were invested in this technology now we are producing results, but we only can explain to a certain grade how are these results calculated. So trust is needed. And the only way you can um, achieve this level of trust which is needed in our business that you need to prove our results are right. So which is pretty easy, if, for example, if it comes to election results. Okay, there is a public result on the election day and then you can see, okay, was your poll good or bad before? But um, what if we want to measure how many people like cheese in Berlin? Nobody knows. 100%. <laughs> mm, okay, I can say it will be something between zero and 100. This is for sure. But nobody knows. Is this why the real-time the real polling comes into play? So when people put in their vote and they get the answer back straight away or not? So um, real-time helps... Well, let's let's say the other way around. Um, one other way to gain trust is that you always show the result. Because if you come back to my cheese example, okay, it's between zero and one hundred percent, but so probably I don't know, it will be seventy. So there is a number where we all can agree on. And if you always publish your results, this means, and we are doing more than three thousand polls a day. Wow. <laughs> publish on every poll result every few seconds, then people can do a reality check. So if I would publish in the morning 10% of Berliners like cheese and in the afternoon 70%, okay, obviously something will be wrong. That's where the common sense of hundreds of thousands of people who are taking part during the day on our polls comes in because they look at the results and see, ah, looks good. And if if this is done over years, again and again by customers, by, um, by our participants, somehow then trust is built. Of course, there are some, there are some other reality checks and except elections like, um, I don't know, for example, would ask, um, have you seen a certain movie at the cinema last week? There are also official box, box office numbers. Where you can compare. So could we also try to do these things? It's also the possibility to work together with universities, which can somehow in a, do scientific papers about your methods. But um, yeah, real time helps because it gives the participant and customer the possibility to, to do reality check, checks whenever they want. Um, other pollsters, they collect the data and then they can wait for two weeks and think a little bit about the result and and then publish whatever they want to publish. And that's impossible. So 
it's impossible to um, to have any influence on this thousands of polls and hundred thousands of results we are publishing every day. It's just by the algorithm. Everybody can control it whenever he wants. When we first met, you know, you were presenting data um, on electrification and views on diesel vehicles. And mm. if I remember correctly, there, there was quite a lot of data. Obviously, you gathered a lot of data, but then some, to some extent, obviously, there, there's an interpretation in there. Mm. Um, you know, every data gives you a platform for a theory or for hypothesis. In that of case, course. it was mostly about price and range. So what mm. hinders the market penetration of electric vehicles in Germany was mostly the price of the vehicles and mm. the range of the vehicles. Mm. How do you deal with that um, when it comes to taking the next step from data and information to um, having an interpretation and communicating that interpretation, mm. which is obviously where, where it gets a bit more sensitive and, and you need to be probably a bit more mindful? What's, what's, how, how do you approach that challenge? It's one of the answers, uh, one of the questions where I don't have really an answer, to be completely honest. Because not a lot of people have the knowledge and the experience to do a good interpretation on data. So we can help a little bit with good visualizations mm -hmm. um, or with um, a transparent um, number about how reliable this result is because there's always a range. So if you show a result of 50% and then you have a margin of error, reality lies somewhere between 45 and 55, these things. But um, it's impossible on this amount of data to give a good interpretation or at least uh, or written down interpretation also on, on any result. But I am not sure if this is our responsibility because what is the alternative? The alternative would be not to publish these numbers And then the question is, who is doing then the interpretation? Then again, the people on the internet without data will do the interpretation. And again, the loudest person will win. So that's the way you should look at this. Yeah. The opinion and the data exists. It's there. The question is, is there somebody, someone who can measure it and who will publish it? And that's our job. Mm -hmm. The opinion exists and the interpretation exists and now we can do also a reality check on these discussions on the internet or on these um, opinions in newspapers and say, no, that's not what Germany is thinking. Um, but to going the next step to um, have more sophisticated interpretation on this, I don't think that's our job. Mm. And if someone um, uses the wrong interpretation... Mm -hmm you know, apply to your data, do mm. you step in and say, hang on, this is not what the data actually says? If you realize that someone is doing this publicly, we did this in the past. Mm -hmm. I think there was um, a case Especially well. if this is non-partner or customer of yeah. us. Um, and of course, if we are talking to our media partners and customers, we help to interpret the data. But again, all our results are public. There are 80 million Germans... No, not really eight, but 70 million Germans with internet access, we can look at our numbers. So we cannot help 70 million people to do the right interpretation of our data. Um, but what we can do to be as fast and as transparent about our data, and if someone do a wrong interpretation in the media about our number, then yeah, he gets a call from us. I think that's wrong. But I'm a great fan that also people are a little bit self... That there's a... Self responsibility yeah. mm -hmm. for everyone to deal with data. 
And I think it's better to make this data public than to hide it because that's what's that's what happened until now. I If really you have like in Germany like something like sorry, um, 300 pollsters, 300, and not one of them is publishing all the results. I really like how transparent um, you are here at Civi. I think that's really interesting and very important in 2019. Um, and earlier we were talking about the fact that I guess Civi is growing quite quickly. Um, lots of changes going on. Does transparency come through to what you guys are doing, I guess, on the, not the external side, but internally in the company as well? That's also what we want to do. But transparency, I think, starts to be transparent, honest to yourself, to which degree you can deliver this transparency to your employees. Of course, we have every week team meetings and every employee explaining to the other employees what he did the last seven days or last 14 days. But if someone from the statistics teams, <laughs> team is, has a, a one-minute slot to explain what he did in the last seven days to someone from the marketing team, yeah, it's transparent. <laughs> But Would both really understand what is the other doing? Um, yeah, we have this approach, but I think we as uh, managing partners as Civi should realize where is the border of transparency. Not in terms that we don't want to, but what can you can we really do? And then it's about priorities. Total transparency is an illusion. So where should we be transparent in the company? Sure, we can be transparent, about, for example, about change. We are growing pretty fast, which means um, today we are 16, um, 60 employees, probably at the end of the year, maybe 100, and maybe in five years, 1,000. And this will be, again, a totally different company than we are right now. And not everyone who is now in the company will then stay in the company. And that's not about that this employee or maybe even I, I will maybe maybe I'm not in the company in five years anymore I don't know but it's not because I'm a bad employee to my company <laughs> or I'm a bad managing partner maybe this thing gets one day too big for me or it's just not anymore the way I want to work that's the the, the truth for every employee and uh, so maybe we have had a turnover in the last three years of 30 employees, so started at Civi, left Civi. And I would say 99% of these 30 employees were great employees, great skills, great personality, but they only fit in a certain period of the company to your company in terms of how they want to work, how much freedom do they need, which colleague, colleagues do they like, and so on. And if you are, at least in the management team, transparent about this change and you realize this will happen, then you don't get angry at your employee and hopefully your employee don't get angry at you. Then you just say, okay, yeah. this, this is, uh, um, uh, and, and I don't know the English word, in, but in German we have a really nice word and that's Lebensabschnittspartner. <laughs> I have no idea how to translate this. It's a tough compound word. So it's, it's a partner for a period of your life. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, there's a period of your life where you fit together, and that's great, that's a great time, and then go ahead. And that's, that's also the great thing about change, yeah? Be optimistic about this, yeah? It's, it's not a failure 
if you leave a company, it's just a new new phase of your life, a new yeah. period. And if you and this is what we always try in Sevi to explain to everyone and talk about this. Change will happen. There's nothing what you can do. But you can be sad about the change or you can be happy because it's a great time and you have learned so much in Sevi and then you go to another stage in your life. And that's um and that's the good news and I think in the most cases um yeah, this this really helped. I mean, these these are really growing pains. I like how open and transparent you are in talking about it internally and, and to to us, uh, mm. because a lot of founders and those heading companies are pretty guarded about those sorts of internal developments and change mm. requirements, or bringing people from the outside, mm. or uh, just just you know hope that the problem goes away, which obviously it mm. doesn't. Um, but still, these are pretty hard and tricky conversations to be had. Um, how do you how do you go into these conversations? How do you frame it? And how do you, you know, sort of make sure that the theory of, um, you know, being partner for a period of your life applies in practice and people see it that way too? So nobody likes these kind of conversations. Exactly, so yeah. it's change is always exhausting for everyone. These are just things you have to do. Hmm. So I've seen a lot of founders and CEOs who just run away from this problem or then just the tell the HR person, fire this one, yeah? and this is what happened in reality, and the whole company will suffer from this behavior. And so I think you as, as a managing partner should realize it's your fucking job to go in this room <laughs> and telling the truth. Just it's really job. taking yeah. ownership there, yeah. right? Yeah, I think, and that's also because this podcast is also a little bit about communication. I think communication has a lot of, to do with just being honest. So you yeah. not so, and there's a difference between honest and full transparency. There's, it's impossible to be full transparent about what you're doing. So for example, you would never tell to the public how our algorithms work. Facebook is also not doing. But we can be honest. Can be honest to our employees. Okay, change will happen. I'm sorry, but this is what we can do. This is what we can offer, and we can do it as early as possible. And this is also what we can do about our results. Okay, here's a result. This was great, and maybe there was maybe also a result where we fucked it up. That's fine. Yeah. Do you think this also feeds into that kind of like feedback loop? Then, so you say this is the way things are. This is the ha- this is the steps we're taking. We welcome the feedback both ways. Feedback is is, is really really important um, because so now I am in the comfortable situation. I can tell you. The experience from the last three years. I can promise you this was not the experience I had three years ago. <laughs> so um, I think me and my co-founder, we can claim we did every mistake you can do in a startup. <laughs> um, but somebody gave us feedback. Either the rea- reality gave us feedback. <laughs> it's the toughest one. <laughs> or your employee. Reality check. Reali- yeah, reality check is... <laughs> Um, or um, customers or employees gave you feedback. And and it's, again, exhausting. So if the feedback approaches you, you have two things. You can just deny it uh, (laughs) or you you have to accept this. But if you accept this, then you have to think about, oh, fuck, I did something wrong. And then maybe your self-esteem suffers a little bit. Or it's really, really exhausting to get... to think about the feedback you get, think about, okay, is this a correct feedback? A lot of feedbacks are wrong. That makes it so hard. People telling you a lot of bullshit. <laughs> but to, um, 
to differentiate uh, what is a good feedback and what is a bad feedback, that's really, again an exhausting process. But I can, I can promise it's worth it. Mm. So, um, so last year we hired nearly 40 people and we uh, lost also 20 employees. So either they left us or we fired them. That's a lot of turnover. The feedback from the employees are, hey, you're a great company because you never hide this. You communicate about this. And if you did something wrong in this process, then we talked about this. We had the chance to give us feedback. And that's why we love to work at Civi. And that's what, what we feel every day in the company. Um, but I don't see a lot of companies and CEOs talking about this, that this turnover true, happens. Yeah, yeah. Mostly it, it's hide it. You cannot hide it. So if someone at Civi leaves, it's always a topic in the team meeting, the all-hands meeting, okay? He is leaving, she is leaving. Why? Sometimes it's good news because, I don't know, somebody wants to remove to his or her friend to New York. Hey, that's a love story. <laughs> Sorry. Happy Valentine's. <laughs> Happy Valentine's. Yeah, today is Valentine's Day. Sometimes it's a sad story because he just said, oh, the CV doesn't fit anymore to me. Um, but if you do this constantly, then change becomes at one point normal. I think this should start, this point the startup needs to reach. Change is normal. It's a part of our daily life. And um, and That's especially if it comes it, to yeah. yeah. So before we wrap up, um, I was just curious to know what's I guess in the on the horizon for Civi in twenty nineteen. Hopefully, it will be an amazing year. So we do are doing right now our first dips into the um, Austrian and and Switzerland market. Uh, France is in the second half of this year, also on the agenda. So Civi becomes international. Also. Um, we have a pretty pretty good agenda on new statistical algorithms, but it gets boring if I go too deep here. <laughs> but fancy that. stuff is ahead. Some yeah. stuff going on. <laughs> uh, well, actually, so for example, just we're working on on a feature which gives us the possibility um, to tell people on all of, about our polls, not only what is the result for Germany or for a certain age group or something like that, but really break it down to, to SIP level, so which is you know, 10,000 SIPs. And that's really, really deep to tell people, okay, that's the way the people in your town are thinking. And that's one of the goals we want to achieve in this year. Interesting. Fantastic. And before we wrap up, um, what is the sort of the top communications advice you like to give to people? You know, these um, advices are always... <laughs> If you give somebody an advice, it always hurts a little bit. Hurt us. <laughs> uh, yeah, because an advice really needs it needs it needs to fit to the situation. So if I give you now the general rule, mm -hmm. oh, be honest in your communication, ah, sounds great. But is this really true in any every situation? Of course, there are situations where you need to lie in communication. And we should also be honest about this. <laughs> I'm loving this. There, there must, there must, there is a situation. So um, I can, I can think about a lot of situations where it's totally needed for our chancellor, chancellor to lie. I want her to lie because it's professional. If she goes goes into a negotiation with Putin, I want her to lie to the public what's going on there because otherwise the negotiation cannot be successful. So being honest is a good advice in communication. In a lot of cases, ex 
for example, if you want to communicate change to your employees, mm. be honest. If you're doing negotiations with Putin, lie. That's my <laughs> advice. Well, thank you so much, Gary. We'll Gary. take that in mind for next time. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank Very you. exciting and uh, all the best for the expansion. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for listening to episode 18 of Speak Like a CEO. Your hosts were Oliver Us and Lena Carlson, editing by Celine van den Roo. Remember to subscribe and to follow us everywhere at like a CEO underscore. Okay, see you next week. Bye.